Okay, so today we're going to be talking about really Jerusalem, and we're going to talk about the conflict that's going on in the Middle East, and we're going to cover the scriptures that I think is is actually being fulfilled right now, okay? But we also are going to be talking about other fulfillments in Daniel. We're going to talk about the abomination of desolations, and we're going to talk about America's role and Jerusalem. Okay, so we got a lot to cover today. Okay, so everyone, we want to start, we're going to start here first, because we're going to be going many places on, on this. Adam and I have been talking all week, and so there's so much that's going on right now in the news. Y'all know that today is October 14th. We have an eclipse coming today. So tonight they have... There's an eclipse coming and the father's beginning to, that's the ring of fire. And with the ring of fire, remember is right before the birth. So that's what a woman has. That's what they call her when she's in the last stage of labor is a ring of fire. That is where we are in time. We're right on top of this thing. It's not going to be much longer before this nation gives birth. See, this nation will be destroyed, but she is not going to be totally destroyed. She is going to come back with us as as the leaders in this new nation. We're going to be the ones that come back as the leaders. So it's not a total destruction. He's, he, the government's going to be taken down. The people that are not... Uh, True believers are going to be taken out. And once they repent, they'll be allowed back into the land. And that's the whole story of of really the prodigal son. That is really the story. She's playing out the role of the prodigal son. And man, we're going to see this stuff today. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, In the Middle East, if you're reading Daniel chapter 11 right now, you see it being fulfilled in the Middle East right now. That's what's going on is the fulfillment of Daniel 11. It's being fulfilled. It's been fulfilled for over 20, 30 years because the king of the north and the king of the south, it identifies those two people. It tells you the king of the north is going to be Greece and it tells you the king of the south is Persia and three other nations with it and one being extremely rich. That's Saudi Arabia. This is not a stretch. This is not hard to see. Greece plays the role of the UN. It's always been the UN forces that went in there and made and and resolved the issues in the Middle East. That would have been America. That would have been France. That would have been England and other European nations that joined in and made up UN forces and went in there. If you don't believe me, you go look and see if it's just America that went into the Middle East and resolved the issues. And it even goes further in Daniel 11 because it says it comes out on them like a a storm. And so you had storm in Norman. And what was the, it was called, um, what was the first one called? Desert Storm. So Mm. all of this is being referenced. This war has been going on for 20, 30 years. We forget that wars stop and they start and they stop and they start and they look a little different, but they're still considered one war. And that's what's been going on for the last 20, 30 years, all the way since the first Bush, President Bush. And so we're fulfilling Daniel 11, and that's got to be fulfilled at the end time. So that's what you see going on in the Middle East today. So let's go ahead and get started. We'll start here first. It says 70 weeks of determined. This is Daniel 9, verse 24. For my for thy people who is Israel upon the holy city, the holy city, I believe in this case is Jerusalem, but there's more than one Jerusalem. Adam, do you want to talk to this? Uh, yes. So, you know, this is something that you and I have been looking at for a while now. And one thing I will point out, and I put it in red, you notice that it says a commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince. And then it says, shall be seven weeks, and then comma, three score and two weeks. 
I believe, and I, and I think Linda's probably with me on this, that this is making reference to two different instances, which is why it says restore and build. I mean, you kind of have to ask the question, you know, well, which is it, right? Because these are two different words. That's because there's two different prophecies. One has happened, and we're saying that another's on its way. Now, what we wanted to point out is we, we, we got a little bit of insight on 924, where it says 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, there's many different ways this, this passage is prophetically being fulfilled in the past and also uh, right around the corner for us. And we, we believe at this point the, the determination uh, to, to judge this nation. And what we believe is going to happen is that there's a 70-week period where this war against us and the taking people out of this nation is going to happen. We're not settled exactly when that timeline starts, but as of right now, we're thinking it's probably on the Day of Atonement next year. That's when the the, the heavenly courts will take us, you know, be seated and, and place a judgment on the nation. And Linda, I guess you can probably speak more to that if you'd like. Because that first verse, if you read it, you know that there was already. In 1947, we had a decree that went forth in to rebuild Jerusalem in the Middle East. So that's being done too. That's not, that's also being referred to here. And so it ended in 2017, that somewhere around that time frame, I think in the spring, I think actually it was in May, it ended. Okay. So, but it didn't fulfill the 70 years. But what's going on here, is there's going to be a 70-week time frame that's going to usher in the Messiah. And this, this nation, notice how it says it's going to make an end of transgression, end of sin, reconciliation to iniquity and everlasting righteousness and seal up the vision and prophecy. All of this, this is referring to how the nations repent and return back to him in this 70-week program. And that's the same 70 weeks that you see, I believe, in the New Testament with the Messiah. I think his ministry was 70 weeks. So you, you see the parallel here, that he's going to rebuild his church. After America falls, he's going to rebuild his church. And this is the time frame that he's going to set it back to. And that goes back to Isaiah 6, where it says, that the root is still there even after the tree is cut. The stump is still there, and it comes back from the stump. It comes back from the root because he has to rebuild the foundation. The foundation of anything is its root. So how interesting is that? And that's exactly what he's saying here, that there's a 70. We just don't know where the 70 weeks plays out yet, but we know that that's what it is. And so when you get to Nehemiah, it tells you that this destruction happens once and it never happens again. So I just think that's real interesting because we're going to be restoring and building Jerusalem, which this nation is Jerusalem. That's what me, Adam, and I are going to go into next. Right, Adam? We're going to cover that piece next. Okay, so the former and the latter reign. This is the thing, and I'm going to read this from my Bible, I can find it here. Ecclesiastes 3. I want to read Ecclesiastes 3, verse 15 from my Bible because they keep changing the translations on these Bibles. And it says, That which you have been is now. That means that's what have you gone through right now has already been, is what he's saying. And that which has already been, and God requires that which is past. So in other words, he's saying that things have to be fulfilled more than once. These verses have to be fulfilled more than once. And we see that. We see that there's many verses that get fulfilled many times. But this is what it's telling you, that it's got to be fulfilled at least twice. And Marla talked to this a few weeks back 
where we were talking about the former and the latter reign. The former is the one that's the forerunner. It comes first. That was the Jerusalem in the Middle East. It was the forerunner. It was the first one, okay? And the latter one is this country, okay? And, and this is easy to see. Now, look at Haggai. He's even making reference to it. Haggai 2, verse 9. The glory of the latter house, and a house is a nation. It's a people, and, it, and you know, it's, it it's can also be a family. That's what a house is. Shall be greater than the former. So our nation, which is a promised land, which is playing the role of Jerusalem, is is the latter fulfillment. It is the latter reign. And so the former reign would have been the the land of Israel in the Middle East. Okay, and, and this is what he's saying. For one reason, he tells you that people have become so large they can't fit in that small area in the land of Israel in the Middle East. So that's why he expanded it, right? But this is what this whole thing is about. There's a former and a latter reign. Now, uh, Adam, do you want to explain Hosea 6, verse 3? This is, I just want us to pay attention and try to imagine what would this look like if he shall come to us as the rain. And what I wanted to picture here is I, I think this coincides with an outpouring of a spirit that you see in Joel 2. You also see it in the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. Um, you know, you see when it talks about the manna raining down from heaven, you know, all of these things are uh, symbolic to God is pouring out his spirit on us and giving us, feeding us with his wisdom, right? And that is something that is uh, characterized uh, as a woman in the wilderness. If any, you know, you read it there in Revelation, it says she will be nourished for a time, times, and half the time. And so there's this feeding. And I believe in part it will be because we're filled with this Holy Spirit and he will give us wisdom and understanding. All of us, from the least to the greatest, it says in Jeremiah 31, right? All of us will, will be able to partake in that feast. That's also what the Feast of Tabernacles is about. You know, it's a feast. It's a feast on his word, and we're building up a spiritual house as we're feasting on that word. Yeah, and the people that came in the beginning, uh, the former, it's, it's, it's going to be a smaller group than the people that get raised up at the end, which is the latter group, which is going to be huge, which is going to, that's where he talks about there's going to be so many he can't number or at least it's a huge group of people that come up during the tribulation. And that's what this ladder means, because it's going to be a huge, huge group. All right, Linda, before I forget, and I know it's not on here, but I just want you to know, I just looked up uh, in that um, Haggai passage, the word ladder. Mm-hmm. Aharon uh, is the word for the latter, and it means behind following subsequent Western. It means Western. Uh, okay. Lat- I, I want y'all to understand that, that God in, in the Hebrew language is built into it is prophetically what's going on here. Aharon uh, is the Hebrew word for Aaron. And so you could actually, you know, maybe I'm making a leap here, but Aaron was the beginning of the priesthood and in the order of Melchizedek it calls us priests and kings with Messiah in the new new covenant and isn't it interesting that the head of the priesthood Aaron Aharon his his name literally means the hindermost behind and of western location in the in the latter part of, of time like I'm kind of like reading out what his what his uh name means um, and just to point something out, in Jeremiah 51, go read it, it refers to Babylon, it refers to Babylon as the hindermost of the nations, which also is the same exact word, Aharon. The last nation to rise up, which is America, and she's in the West. Right. So right. you see how the Father has planned this out all from, from the very beginning, this was planned. And so, it, you know, 
at this point, our people are just now realizing, our churches are just now realizing the importance of this land, that what role she will really play at the end time and into the future. And this work, everything, there's a reason why everything goes toward the West. The planets rotate toward the West. The the earth, if you believe in rotation, if you don't, you still see that the that everything's moves westward. And that's the way and the and even the constellations, they move in the sky westward. Now, there was three whales that during the time Abraham came in and dwelled in the land of Cana. Okay. He dug at least three wells. The first one is mentioned in Genesis uh thirty twenty-six verse twenty. And the, and the name for it was strife in Hebrew. And then he dug, dug a second well, which is in verse 21, and they were quarreling over it. And that word at that site meant opposition. Now it gets to the third word, which is Rehoboth. And this is, this is what it says. This is the third site where he dug a well. And he says, for now the Lord has made room for us. We shall be fruitful in the land. So this is a reference to this country. Let me show you why. Now that word Rehoboth, it is from H7337. It means a wide and broad place. Do y'all see that? It's a wide and broad place. Now please understand that cannot refer to Israel in the Middle East. She is not a broad and wide place. She is not a large place. This has to be referencing the third move that was made by Israel because she moved out of the land of Israel. She moved above the Black Sea, which was the first move. Okay. They gave them the, the, so we're counting from that time that they went into the land of Cana and they were established there. And then they moved one time they moved into the area of Scythia above the Black Sea, okay? Then the second move that they made was into Western Europe because they came across as the Germanic tribes in the second and third century and went into Western Europe. But they also were in England. They were in uh, the Scandinavian countries. That's all Western Europe. Do y'all see that? And then the third move that they made, guess where it was? And that was to America. Okay. Now, so these whales are actually talking about the moves. And, and how interesting is that? That he's showing prophecy is everywhere in scripture. He puts a, these, these verses have many, many fulfillments. And I think this is really interesting because it's, we're going to talk now about the broad place. Are we not, Adam? So, so I, I just looked at, I just want to kind of fact check it, and I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but I, in Microsoft being I asked the question, is the Gaza Strip the most densely populated place in the world? And it came back with a yes, according to four sources. 2.3 million people living in that one little area. Why am I bringing that up? Because that is the whole point of the broad place was to make room for it. And the place over there right now that's, uh, that's up for, you know, it's contentious and full of strife. Uh, is literally the densest, most densely populated place in the world. It's the opposite of having a broad place with plenty of room. Right. Uh, that's why I wanted to point out. <laughs> yeah, great. All right, now let's move on. Isaiah 22, verse 18. And he, he will surely violently turn and toss you like a ball into a what? Large country. Now, that's telling you right there, it's not the Middle East. Do you all understand? He's talking to Israel. He's telling Israel they're going to be in a large place. And there, and he says, then you're just going to talk about your end time fulfillment. Let's skip that part. Ezekiel 21, verse 27. And I will overturn, overturn, overturn it. So three times Israel gets overturned. Now, that can also have other meanings. All of these verses have other meanings. And it shall be no more until he shall come that is right, it it is, and I will give it to him. So it's going to be taken down. The government is going to be taken down. 
but the root, it's going to be left here because we are the root. We are that foundation that that is the pillars in this church and that he's rebuilding and he's going to let us rebuild the government based on his laws and his truth. And that's what's going to come down. Now let's look at Jeremiah 5 verse 1. And run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Again, this is talking about this Jerusalem here in this country, the second fulfillment of Jerusalem. And see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof. And see if you can find a man that that is there, that any that does justify that seeks truth, I will pardon her. So if you can find one true man in this place, that's what he's saying, that really seeks truth. So, you know, that's kind of that's kind of humbling, isn't it? Because we really need to get on the ball. But he's telling you he's seeking it in a broad places. More more on the broad places. We just want to highlight a couple of more points here. Um, the word here, if you can, we actually pull it up so you guys can see it uh, for yourself. You can also look this up in the Blue Letter Bible. Um, but, and this is just another reference in Jeremiah 5, 1. Yeah, basically say, and seek in the broad places thereof, if you can find a man. So she's just uh, read something very similar to that uh, just, just a second ago. All right, so here's, this is interesting here. So we gave a couple more, I wanted to give a couple more examples of this, of the same word, and I'm, I'm really actually showing the root word, 87337. That's the root word, but both of them, uh, all, all three of these passages actually use the same word. Now, I, I can almost imagine what you're thinking, what Revelation is in Greek, it's not in Hebrew. So I want to speak to that here in just a second, but the same word is used here in uh, Zechariah 2.2 when it talks about to measure Jerusalem, to see what is the breadth thereof and what is the length thereof. All right, so we've, uh, you know, Linda has taught on this passage many times in the past. This is the same chapter that identifies Jerusalem as towns, plural, without walls. And, that, and that's an indication. So that description it does more to tell you what Jerusalem is not than what it is. It is, but this this particular word says it's a broad place because the word breadth there is again a large place. Okay, what is the measure of this large place, right? But when it says that it's towns without walls, it rules out the first Jerusalem because it's one town and it has a wall. And also it rules out the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven because it's also one city, and it has a very large wall. And I, I remember doing the math one time. That wall, if you do the math on it, it's like it's 260-something feet tall, very tall. So both of those, the first and the third one in the scriptures, have uh, Jerusalem I'm referring to, have, have a wall. And, and it's not multiple towns. It's one city, one city with a wall. But this one here in the middle that it's talking about is towns, plural, without a wall and it uses the same word here the broad place to describe or when it uses this word the breadth thereof now move down to revelation 20 verses 7 through 9 and it talks about when satan shall be loosed out of his prison he's going to go and they went up on the breadth of the earth now that word breadth is the identical word uh, in the greek as what Zechariah 2.2 was translated to in the Septuagint. Now, reminder of the Septuagint, what is it? It's a Greek-translated version of the Tanakh. So the Old Testament, right? Greek-translated. Uh, Linda, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were saying it was around, we think it was uh, made around 250. About 250 B.C. it came into play. Right, right. So what I did, and you can do this in the Blue Letter Bible, it's a very, there's a little tab when you're in the Old Testament, you can click on, you know, any kind of scripture or any kind of uh, verse, and on the far right, there'll be one that says LXX, that is the Septuagint, you can click on that, and you can see the Greek words that were uh, used in the Septuagint in place of the Hebrew, and what I'm trying to say is the Greek word there in Revelation 20 verse 9 is, if I remember correctly, it's G4114. 
and it's the same exact word that's used in the Septuagint for Zechariah 2.2. So now we have an Old Testament and New Testament witness uh, connecting these two, right? So connecting these words that we're talking about, the broad place and the breadth of the earth in the Old Testament is directly tied now, thanks to the Septuagint translation, to specific passages in the New Testament, and most specifically, Revelation 20. There you go. Even if you believe in the flat earth, you have to see that everything is moving west. Like the sun moves yeah. west, oh, the yeah. move west, everything moves west. There's no That's doubt correct. that the sun every day comes up in the east and it moves toward the west. See, You're this is the thing that has gotten to me because the lie has always been that everything is about the east and we always want to turn back to the east. And I've heard it taught in Hebrew roots to it's clear up to my throat. And I'm telling you, mm -hmm. it's not correct. So what they're telling you is we want to go back to the ancient ways. Yes, that's true. We do want to go back to the ancient ways, but they're not in the East because there's a reason why the father has moved everything West. And, and that's why even the references in the old Testament point to the West. And we're going to get into more of this. This is not the only thing we're going to cover on this. So let's look at this word Cana. I'm just changing the subject a little bit here because the land where it says the word Cana is H3337, that means a low land. Do y'all see that Cana is the word itself means a low land? Now watch this. In this verse, Ezekiel 6 verse 3 and say, you mountains of Israel, that's the governments, hear the words of Yah and he said, Yah is to the mountains and to the hills and to the rivers and to the valleys. Behold, even I will bring a sword upon you and I will destroy the what? Is it the low places he destroys? What is he destroying? The high places. So here's another reference here. Another reference. High places is not the same as the word Cana, which means low land. Let me let you talk to this. Now, this is something that Adam found this week. And oh my goodness, I was so excited. I shared this with Sarah. So Adam, can you explain <laughs> Acts 7 verse, the first chapter? That is so amazing. You know, I have to kind of share just briefly how it played out. Is I, I was looking at this passage and I just knew in my spirit I was looking at something significant and I hadn't even bothered to try to work it out and I just immediately called Linda and then as I was reading it to her I discovered the significance of it so it, it was really a spirit-led kind of a thing that happened but anyways let's just read through it real quick uh okay so this is this is Stephen talking to the Pharisees right before he gets stoned I would dare say what he says here and also afterwards in the same chapter is what got him stoned but let's talk about it. He says, Men, brethren, and fathers, hearken, the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran or Quran, uh, and said unto him, Get thee out of thy country. So get out of where you started and from your kindred, your family, and come into the land which I shall show thee. Now he says, I'm going to show you a land. And then it says, Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Quran. So look. Um, and then it says, look, and from thence, when his father was dead, he removed him into this land, wherein ye uh, now dwell. So where is this land? When it says this land, it's referring to the land in the Middle East that we call Israel and Jerusalem. And that's where they were at when this went down, right? So uh, Abraham's father died. And then he took his body and he moved them to the land that is now called Israel over the Middle East and was the first covenant promised land. And removed him into that land. Presumably he buried him there. But look at the next verse. So he said that he went into that land, right? He went into that land. But it says, and he gave him none inheritance in it. What is he referring to in it? He's referring to the land which I shall show thee. Because look what it says. Not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for possession and to his seed after him as when as yet he had no child. Well, folks, the verse, verse four 
just said that he removed his father after he died into the land that they were in, wherein ye now dwell. And then the very next verse, he says, but the land that he was promised as an inheritance, he never even set foot on it. That's exactly right. And so I want y'all to notice one other thing here, Adam. They lived in the area of the Chaldees, which was in northeast from the land of Cana. It was northeast. It was not in Babylon. The Chaldees lived not in Babylon. They lived in the upper part of the area we had called Assyria for a long time. It was, please understand, it's not talking about yeah. Babylon. So yeah. do you see that Abraham went from the east to the west? That And the fact that Ad, what Adam's saying here is he was told right here, he's being told right here, that he never, he never set foot on the, on the possession. He never set foot on the land that he was promised. Do y'all see that's what it's saying here? Yeah. We want to make sure that if you have questions, uh, ask them at the end. We want to make sure we don't, uh, we don't lose you on this, but Hebrews eleven thirteen. another witness, these all died in faith, having not received the promises, but having seen them afar off, oh, afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, referencing the kingdom of God. And Abraham is in that discussion. You can go back and read the full context in Hebrews 11. That's the, um, what do we call that? The, the hall of faith, I think, is what it's called. Uh, then, move on to the he next. says, you know, that other interesting part is that Abraham saw our time and he was excited. He he was, you know, it's so amazing mm-hmm. he, that he he had visions and saw our time. That, I just think that's so interesting. Now, it could also mm-hmm. be referring to the time when the Messiah came at that time also. But I just think it's so amazing that he never stepped foot on this land. The land that he was promised, he never stepped foot on it. But we never saw that verse, did we, Adam, until you run into it? No. Well, and look, just one other thing to mention. It's not on here, but it's in Genesis 17 when God makes a a reference. He says, he says, um, he references two different descriptions of the land. It says, the land that you are a stranger in, and then it says, the land of Canaan. The thing is, is when when God said that to Abraham in Genesis 17, he had been in the land of Canaan for somewhere between 15 and 20 years. Yeah, because uh, so he had he a son. He already had a son that was 13 years yep. old. It tells you yep. that in the next verse, that his Ishmael yep. was 13 years old at that point. Yep, he had been there. He was not a stranger in the land of Canaan when he when when God mentioned. Remember that land that I showed you that you were a stranger in. So anyway, I just wanted to reference this just just uh, as another witness here, talking about the land uh, given to the twelve tribes. Joseph shall have two portions. Ye shall inherit it one as well as another. Concerning the which I lifted up my hand to give unto your fathers. Now, one as well as another. Is that one land that we come back to? Because <laughs> I don't read it that way. I read two portions, one and then another, right? And so we're talking about two distinct uh, properties here. We're not talking yes. about there's one that we come back to. Yeah, and it says you inherited it. <clears throat> so they inherited the land of Canaan, but they also inherited the land in this country also. And that's what mm-hmm. I think this is what it's referencing. Yep. It is. Okay, so we're gonna Absolutely. move. All right, so now yep. we're gonna get to Adam, we're gonna move on to this next piece, which what we were doing is laying the foundation to show you that that it's referencing our country, that our country is playing the role in the book of Daniel as Jerusalem. So, but now we want to talk about insight on the abomination of desolate, of desolation. And we have always taught, or at least I have, I feel it is the fall of this country. The fall of this country mm-hmm. is the abomination of desolation. Now watch this. Daniel 8 verse 11. Yet he magnified himself as the prince of host. The word host means army. And, and for him, the daily 
And that word sacrifice is added there. It is not correctly translated there. For him, the daily was taken away. The place of his sanctuary was cast down. Now, what is his sanctuary? Because we need to nail that down. So he's telling you that this, this prince comes in with an army and he takes down our sanctuary. And that's, the, that's a war he's talking about here. Now, going on, to verse 12, and for the host, the army was take, given him against the daily for reason of transgression. Because of their sins, he was given this, he could go in and do this war, and he cast the truth to, and they, it cast the truth to the ground. It takes down the government, it takes down our constitution, it takes down the actual truth, because our government's constitution was based on biblical principles and the Bible and practice and prospers. Okay, so going on, verse 13, and I heard one saint say to another and said in certain speaking, how long will the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of the of the desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host, the army, to be trodden underfoot? So when this nation falls, it is called the abomination of desolation. When this nation falls, when it's trodden underfoot and its army has fallen. The eclipse is happening right now. At 12 I know, I know. Terry and Neil just text me. It is happening. I think that's amazing, isn't it? I'm so sorry. I, we can't run, run and go see it. Can we go to this, this part that I haven't read? Because I want to hammer on this. Oh, Lord. Why hast thou made us to err from thy ways and hardened our hearts from their fear? I'm telling you, nobody teaches that. They all tell you that you are on your own for doing whatever you do. You learn it and you do whatever. You have your own decisions. You make your own decisions, blah, 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 blah. And that is not what the father is saying here. He says he deliberately makes you err from your ways and hardens your heart from thy fear. Can you believe that? It says, I'm not, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. It says, oh Lord, why hast thou made us to err from thy ways? He's asking, it's Isaiah that's asking that. He said, why did you make us do these things? Because we always have to learn it wrong to learn it right. Because once you learn it wrong, then you internalize it and it's in your heart then and you won't redo it. When you really learn it and you internalize it and you walk through it, and that's why we have to have trials. As hard as they are, they, it teaches us that lesson. That's why the father makes us go through the hard times and he, and he actually makes us go through and hardens our heart in a lot of cases to make us do these things so that we learn the lessons that we need to learn. And that's just a fact. And I didn't make that up. I'm reading it right, right from scripture. So all of these people that want to say, oh, you make your own choices. And I'm not saying you don't, we're not all robots. We're not saying that. But he's talking to them about the major decisions that go on in your life. He has control over those. And he said he, he actually directs your steps. That's in the book of Psalms. And please understand that practically everything you've been taught needs to be relearned because it's false. Because he's leading you down into the things that you need to learn. And sometimes that's, that's a lot of pressure to learn those things. Okay, so I, I, I deviated from what we were discussing so I could cover that because when I saw it, I said, this is what I always believed, but I couldn't find a verse to say it, and now I did. Okay, so, all right, so Middle East influence in mainstream Christianity. I'm going to talk to this, Adam. I know you're going to want to mention this, that all, all of this is why the Messiah said, be very careful with the counsel of the, of the Pharisees, because, and he talked about the leaven of the Pharisees, which was deception. And he said, be very careful because he knew that, and he said, they will deliver you up to the council and 
they will kill you. And he mentions that. So this is really in, in, in what has transpired is the teachings that came out of the old land of Israel were moved to a, to a school called the Alexander School. And if you go out and look, all the Catholic Church fathers, they call them the Nicene Fathers, most of them were educated in the Alexander School. And that school was set up by Philo, and it had Clement, and it had several others that taught there. And they brought Greek teachings into this, but they also brought their 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 Jewish teachings that were traditions into this. That's what they did. And that's why you see that when the woman writes the beast and somebody, some people tell me, oh, that's the Catholic church because it's referencing. No, it goes further back than the Catholic church. It goes back to the Pharisees because they are the ones that really instigated this false education, Christian-like system that has gone, that went into the Catholic church and then spread from there. And that's really the truth of it. So they have, they lay the root for this thing. But you have three different movements. Adam, is that correct? One is Judaism. One is the Catholic church. And one is the Protestant churches. And this is where it says, Matthew 13, verse 33, uh, the kingdom of heaven is likened to leaven, which a woman took and hid three measures of meal to the whole was leaven. They, they represent leaven, these three groups of churches that the father wants us to come out of all three. Uh, yeah, the woman is the harlot. Um, and that's actually, well, I would say, you know, it's Israel, unfortunately, yes, right? Yes, it is because Israel. We also read, yeah, but it also but, represents, but, it also represents the religions also. But yeah, go ahead. It, yeah. it has more than one meaning. What Messiah says about uh, leaven is the only passage that I'm aware of that informs us of what it represents. There's a lot of instruction with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is directly connected to it. I can give you uh, the Matthew 16 as a witness to what leaven is. It's, uh, it's false doctrines coming from a certain group. And then Matthew 13, 33, it says here that, hey, look, the kingdom of heaven is like unto this. So it's, the kingdom of heaven is filled with leaven. It's filled with false doctrine. What is the kingdom of heaven? When you come into the faith, you are born into the kingdom. Is that an amen on that? Yes, is that, is that is that right? It says the kingdom it of is. God is within you. Okay, so then, so then look at the spring feast. The first thing that happens is you come up underneath the blood. That's Passover. That's the first thing to happen, Passover. You come up under the blood, you come into the faith. You're born into the kingdom. And what is the very next thing you do? The very next day, not even a, a, just a whole night that's passed, he instructs you to remove leaven from your house, your spiritual house of faith. Get rid of the false doctrine. You're born into it. Okay, so don't take offense when we start highlighting things that might step on your toes or suggest you're doing something you shouldn't. That is the design of this story, is that we're going to come into a faith that needs to be purified. And that's what it means when it says he's going to purify us like, you know, sticking gold and silver in the furnace, in the fire. So, all right, so this is Matthew, this is Matthew 15, and this is talking, the Messiah talks to the Pharisees, <laughs> and so we're going to read what he says to them, because everybody says, oh, okay, the in the Hebrew roots movement, it's, oh, it's okay to do all the traditions, and so, no, it's not okay to do all the traditions. Everybody, every nationality has their own traditions, and and as long as they don't interfere with your belief system, that's all fine. But see, in this area where I live, they they practice, it's mainly Catholic. And so they do uh, a lot of the Mardi Gras, which comes out of the Catholic faith. So that's their traditions that they bring in. Do y'all see? And they interfere with God's God's word. 
And so that's when a tradition interferes with the way that you worship, then you got to remove it. And do y'all understand? That's what I'm talking about here. So now let's go on to verse. He was talking to the the traditions of the elders. He said, why do the disciples transgress the traditions of the elders and they don't wash their hands when they eat bread? Okay, here he goes. He answers. And he answered them, why do you also transgress the commandments of God by your traditions? So they have brought things into their walk. And if you can't find the things that you were believing in scripture, I tell you, it's a tradition and you need to remove it because you've added something to scripture here. Now, verse 16, and, he, and honor not your father and your mother shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your traditions. And you hypocrites, and he goes on and he says, the people draw not near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain do you worship me, teaching the doctrines and the commandments of men. That is bringing your traditions into your church. We had this discussion last week, two weeks ago, about the head covering. Paul is talking to the Corinthians that had this problem because they insisted on their the women wearing hair, head coverings. And Paul's telling them, look, your head covering is your is your hair for a woman. That's what it is. And that's what he's telling them. But then you go back to Isaiah 30, verse 1, and it says they want to use covering, but they don't want to use me as their cover. So all of these churches, and many of them, I hear it talk, well, you're under the covering of this man, and you're under the covering. No, you're not under the covering of anybody. You're under the covering of the Father. That's who you're under the covering for. Nobody else. And and your women are under the covering of their husband from the perspective that he's playing the role of the Messiah. Do y'all understand that? But there's nowhere in scripture, in fact, it tells you in Isaiah 30, don't use head coverings because I'm your covering. And he was, Paul was trying to teach this to the Corinthians and he said, this is what y'all do. Y'all make the women wear hair coverings. But he said, really and truly, your hair is your cover. Mm-hmm. And he explains that in detail. And yet people still, mm-hmm. they don't understand that, that Paul was identifying the problems in the Corinthian church and trying to resolve them with them. Do y'all understand that? That's what he was doing. Nobody catches that. All they zero in is on some physical thing that they need to put on their head. So, Adam. Uh, amen. Uh, strong amen. The very, I want to move on to that next slide, which is, well, by the way, you notice the title. It says The Way of Esau. Uh, and there's a reason we put that up there. But let's go ahead and just and follow up with, so we just read to you a few uh, of the verses before this. But I, I just want to reiterate what we're trying to say here. Um, look what he says. He says, they, they, the disciples say, you know, you just offended the Pharisees by what you just said. Very offensive. And then his response, I didn't put it in bold and red and italics. I wish I did, but I didn't. Every plant which my heavenly father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. And I will say this. We pray for our enemies. We love our enemies, and we also pray for and love our brothers. Esau happens to be both. Esau happens to be both our enemy and our brother. Okay? So let's not, uh, you know, get confused. But I will say this, something that America could take some advice from verse 14, let them alone. Let them alone. What do you think that means? Leave them alone. Stay away. Right. So it's really important that people realize this, that, you know, if you cannot find it in scripture, then you don't need to be doing that. That's the whole point. And and it's okay to have traditions, but don't bring them into the churches. Do not bring them into the churches. And this, 
is what the Hebrew roots guys did. They mostly have left the Catholic and and Protestant churches, and they just stepped under Judaism, and they started following. They started following many of the teachings in Judaism, which are based on many of them are based on the Talmud. They're not mm-hmm. in Scripture. And so this is what I want to bring everybody's awareness to, that we bring these things in. My favorite slide for this is Ezekiel 8, 8. Okay. And then he said unto them, son of man, go dig a, dig in the wall, dropping down to nine. And he said to him, go in and behold the wicked, the wicked abominations that they do. He said, go see the wicked things that these people are doing. I'm going to offend some people here, I'm sure, on this part. I hope you can take it. So he goes in, and I'm going to skip verses 11. I'm going to get down to verse 16 here. And he brought me to the inner court into the Lord's house. The inner court would have been the church. Do you all see that? This This is the religious people. And behold, at the door of the temple between the porch and the altar and 25 men with their backs toward the temple and facing in the east and they were worshiping toward the east. There's the problem with the east. He's showing you, he's showing you the problem with the east. The, the east is, 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 is not the direction you want to go in because the eastern religions don't believe in the messiah it's the western half of the world that believes in the messiah but the interesting thing is they were facing toward the east and the temple was was in the west do y'all see this the temple was in the west oh my goodness now let me Bring this down to your understanding today that when you go into many churches that are Hebrew roots, one of the first things they do is they have a prayer that they do and they face to the east. They face to the east to read the prayer. Okay, because they think they're facing toward Jerusalem. Well, they don't know that they're in Jerusalem. That's why they're facing toward the east, because this really stirs my spirit that they pray toward the east. And it's not that it's wrong to to read scripture and and you know in church and in a in a group, but to face the east is a problem. Now you remember that Daniel he prayed. They said, well, he prayed toward Jerusalem. Yes, he did, but he was praying toward the west because he yeah. was in the east. Praying toward the West. So don't let them go there with you. Because you're never yep. to pray to the East. Yep. And so, um, you know, look, this reminds me of, you know, we're talking about everything starts in the East and moves West. We've been talking about this many times uh, in this teaching here. But uh, it makes me think of Luke 9, uh, 60, is it Luke nine sixty two? Uh, he says, no one who puts the hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And it just makes me think, um, I can't help but think we're in the West. We're in the latter time. We came last or, you know, in line and looking back to what we saw in the East, you know, the first covenant, um, the, the Jews, the thing they teach or whatever, and you are trying to look back at the, the original Antichrist group uh, for your guidance and understanding of scripture. These people rejected Messiah and their teachings are based on a rejection of Messiah. Talking about Judaism here. Um, anyways, and so you, you see this pattern and yes, you're exactly right about, about Daniel. He was in Babylon and Babylon was east, well east of Jerusalem and Israel. Uh, and, and so when he was facing, it says three times a day, he prayed facing Jerusalem. Uh, he would have been facing west. He had to because he was in Babylon. So uh, just it's a great point to make there, but we're, we're not saying that we need to face west necessarily either. We're trying to say that Jerusalem is in the inner man. Pray inwardly, right? I mean, that's what we're, yes. trying, we're trying to say. 
that and, and let's just we're kind of, it might seem like we're splitting hairs here but let me tell you why this matters there is no commandment to face the east and pray there's not and so it's really more about the principle of the matter than anything else you're setting up a precedent to do things in your practice of worshiping god that that you had to add ideas and words to to make it happen it's just not in the scripture and he's called an abomination and you have to ask the question why are they doing it too um so you know the only thing that goes east the only thing that moves east is the wind do y'all realize in in the universe that I can find is the only thing. I think there's a planet that rotates uh, in the opposite direction too, but there's one planet I know. But there's, but the wind will blow from, blows from west to east. That's the only thing I found. Hey, Linda. Uh-huh. One more thing before we move on. And if you look at the location of the altar of incense, it was east of the door. I mean, I'm sorry, it was west of the door. <laughs> you know, so our prayers were always, you know, look, maybe this east-west thing, but you can't deny the location of the temple door facing the east and the altar of incense, the Holy of Holies being in the west. There you go. Yeah. Listen, that makes perfect sense, though, Linda, because what he just said, he said the door was in the east, and the but the, the altar was in the west, right? Is that what you just said? Yes. And also... Okay. Well, the when they had the uh, any of the sacrifices that were done outside the camp, all had to face west. Yes, especially the red heifer okay. sacrifice. That's that's so, so wild. So look, well, look here though. What I wanted to point out real quick is that I am the, uh, like Messiah is the door. He calls himself the door, and he was Big in though. the east when he gave his gave his set up his covenant with us and and gave us the teaching of the new covenant i mean you know i'm just making the correlation here that the door was in fact in the east right but yeah it's in the altar <laughs> you know, well anyway you know when the messiah was was crucified he was in the east and he was facing the door of the tabernacle yeah yeah it so, is. so adam do you want to speak to um revelations 11 8 this is literally a text message that she's got up here that I, <laughs> I said to her. Uh, look, uh, this is another example of what we're trying to say. Uh, and I've not heard anybody give me a good, intelligent um, pushback on this, but maybe you guys can if you can find something or come up with something. But uh, so look, Esau, I, I'm saying here that he gets his warning, you know, the signs in the sky, right? August 2nd, 2027, there's a total solar eclipse. It goes right, over, right smack through Egypt. And I know you're saying, well, that's Egypt. That's not, you know, uh, Jerusalem or Israel. But but look here, Revelation 11, 8, Sodom, he called it Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Spiritually, it's called this, okay? So what I'm doing here is I'm saying, okay, if Egypt gets a sign in 2027, but then he calls that place where our Lord was crucified by the name of Egypt, among other names then maybe I can extrapolate a little bit. I'm just using scripture here to say, okay, that sign really might be for those people in that location where our Lord was crucified. Um, and so it's just something to point out here, uh, something else to look at. And there's a number of other things that Linda and I could speak to about this that doesn't seem right if you believe the mainstream narrative about uh, the Middle East, what role they play. Because number one, these folks, if you read the rest of that chapter or whatever, they kill the two witnesses and then they celebrate <laughs> uh, about it. Um, the, the place over there is not a wilderness at that time because they say it has an earthquake, killed 7,000 there and a lot of destruction there. But anyways, it's just something to think about. Um, you know, none of that stuff adds up. And I, let me ask you this last question, a rhetorical question. Why, if John was trying to be an author of clarity and and truth why would he be so uh confusing 
to not call this place by its name, Jerusalem. He goes out of his way to not call it Jerusalem. I don't think John was trying to be confusing or chaotic. I think the point is, in that time, writing about the Revelation 11 passage, it wasn't Jerusalem. It's not the Jerusalem of God. It is Jerusalem, and it did have a place in history. It's playing a different, a very different role right now, because if you read that chapter, the beast that comes up out of the pit, we can, we can talk about what that might be, but let's not right now, but you can just imagine what that might be. The beast comes out of the pit, uh, makes war with them right there in Jerusalem, um, and of course defeats them, and that's when they celebrate. So just something to think about. Why would John not call it by its name? Unless, of course, he was being very deliberate and didn't want you to think that that place where our Lord was crucified was the end times Jerusalem. It's not the end time, but it was Jerusalem at one point. And this is where Adam's speaking to, and that's First John 4, verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that the Messiah is come in the flesh is of God. So if you confess that you know that the Messiah came and he came and he died and he lived. Okay, that's what it's really saying here. If you confess the Messiah, now let's read verse three. For every spirit that confesses not the Messiah is come in the flesh is not of God. So if you are a a religion that doesn't believe in the Messiah, then you are not of God. That's what it says right here. And that it describes most of the religions in the East. You have Hindu, Buddha, and, and many of the others. And please understand the Greek Orthodox Church is full of idols. It is exactly like the, the pagan church that was set up in Egypt at the time that the Israelites came out of Egypt. They were worshiping multiple gods. They worship the same idols in the, the Greek Orthodox Church. It is, it's, it's all the pagan ways. Church, and you have Buddhists, and you have Hindus that don't believe in the Messiah, and all the people in the East, for the most part, don't believe in the Messiah. Yes, somebody wants to speak. Hey, this is Terry. I, I just think that this is a critical verse that really spells it out completely because some people will argue with you and say that, no, the Jews do believe that there is a Messiah, uh, that he's going to come as their conquering king. So, it, it, you know, it's not talking about them. This spells it out clearly. It says, if you do not believe that he came in the flesh, then you are not of him. Right. And you're the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. He says, so, and you're the Antichrist, by the way. And so, see, we, the long, for, the, for the longest time, I just looked at everything in the very beginning when I started teaching as tribal. You know, well, this is the 12 tribes and they're going to do this. And I have learned now that it's all about the heart. It's about the people that believe in the Messiah and are going to honor him and follow his ways and the people that are not. And so that's how he divides it up. Because, and he tells you, I'm not a respecter of persons. It's not that the, the tribes don't play a role. They're going to play a role. Just like each one of these other nations are playing a role. But the whole mm -hmm. point is, the father looks at the heart. He's not, he doesn't care whether you're, you're Jew or Gentile, as it says in scripture. He doesn't care. And so he's looking at your heart and that's how he's going to, that's how he's going to judge this world. I'm telling you, he's going to judge it based on, on where your heart is. And I say where your heart is, not just because you're going to church and, and sitting there and warming the seat. Where is your heart and what do you believe and what do you do? And so this is this is where this comes down to 
and the entire east part of the world doesn't believe in the messiah let's just for the most part not everybody but just for the most part the majority and so they play the role of esau and the west plays the role of jacob and that's why they have their back to the west because we represent the messiah because the messiah lives in our heart do y'all understand that we are the temple and so None of scripture is screwed up. It's telling the same story all the way through. It's just that we haven't been told. For more information about this broadcast, please visit our website at www.12tribehistory.com. That is the number 12, tribehistory.com, or email us at lwatson44 at cox.net with any questions or comments.